Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. My name is Shereen Pajak and I'm the managing editor at Glossy. This week, we brought on Billy Whitehouse. Billy is a designer and founder of Wearable Experiments, a bootstrapped wearables company that has worked with brands like Durex to make underwear for couples and long-distance relationships and smart fabric-equipped soccer jerseys to let you really feel the game. Billy and I spoke about touch and why it's the most underrated feature in the connected garments industry, as well as the need to soften hardware to make wearables more than just a gimmick. Welcome to the show, Billy. Thank you. Excited to be here. So wearable experiments. I think a lot has been said about you guys in this very fun, silly, kind of having fun with this idea of what a wearable is. Um, why did you decide to go for the fun and the silly and not really for all the other things? Oh, so um, personally, that's like more my personality. Um, and then it was just really wonderful. The more we started working on the things that kept us entertained, the more we wanted to keep working on them. Um, so I met my co-founder while building Funderwear. And Funderwear was the vibrating knickers for couples in long distance re- relationships. And honestly, we laughed every single day. And it was the most absurd product to ever build and we never thought that that much would come of it. Um, And the success of that product really surprised us. So the fun just continued. As soon as you're building something that entertains you in the process of building it, it's pretty much guaranteed to entertain everyone on the way. And Funderwear was, I think, I think the the moment sort of Funderwear, so I think for people who are listening who might not completely understand how it works, tell us exactly what Funderwear was or is. Um, and then I'll ask you a question about why you actually did it. <laughs> so um, Funderwear is connected underpants and apparel. So it's bras, underpants for women and underpants for men. Um, and they have haptic feedback motors embedded inside them. And what it was connected to was your, to your smartphone. So inside your smartphone, you would share your code with your partner um, and then they would either accept it. You would or- not get the code wrong because you could like, call someone else or something. <laughs> was it like a phone number? There was like they were auto-generated every single time. So you couldn't get them Very wrong. Very secure. Sure. Of course, like we it. had to do that. Um, and then you can also reject people, which I like. And secret part, if you shared your code with someone else, the partner was alerted. <laughs> this is interesting. This is policing morality on a whole other level. <laughs> you know, you've just got like a partnership. This was, this was a product we built for couples, mm-hmm. um, really specifically. And because that was the core of Durex's brand, um, is that they were really successful with couples. And so they thought, we've got to stay with that area. Um, and that's why it was entertaining is because this is the future of a sexual experience we were playing with like what does it mean to be touched um and also beyond that it's not about um teledildonics which is a word they told me never to use um which means smart dildos um I got it. It, <laughs> it was more about um, transferring touch so moving haptics around the body was far more interesting for a wearer than just like buzz 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 in mm-hmm. one area of the body which is, again, I think the slight difference between us and other wearable tech products. So, and then when you, you took Funderwear, but then now I know that there is, you're working a lot more on sort of Navigate, right? So, which is how this jacket, it's a smart jacket, is, do you, is, do you, is that what you call it? A smart jacket? Is that accurate? A connected a, jacket. A connected There's jacket. so many terms now. It's sort of a bit overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> and that one, I mean, I think that sort of is, is I, I would almost say that's the other side of the coin because it's functional in a completely different way. And um, I think the key with with what you've done with Rebel Experiments was that these things were actually meant to be used as part of your everyday life. 
Do you think that that can happen? Do you think that at any point, you know, can a connected underwear or a connected jacket be more than a gimmick or something that people try on just because, well, that's fun and I can't miss out on it, but it doesn't become sort of a human part of their lives? Yeah, well, I think the same way the smartphone has. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been so dependent now on this tool as a form of communication. Um, And so the future of it for me is really about what is this new language um, and what is the new way of connecting us with the experiences that we really care about, with the people we really care about and with the events and the emotions that we really care about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there have been the three pillars that we really wanted to design for. Um, And so inside those three pillars, the... The connecting you with people, connecting you with the places and connecting you with the emotions and the experiences that you care about. Um, we wanted to design for all five senses. Um, so traditionally, when you're designing for a smartphone, you're thinking about visuals and mm-hmm. sound. Um, occasionally, if, if you do ingestibles, and which once upon a time we did experiment with, mm-hmm. um, you're thinking about taste. Um, and then no one's really designing for touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became this area that we thought was far more intuitive as like a way of creating a new language. Mm-hmm. Um, these smart smartphones this terminal world that we're dominated by right now doesn't necessarily mean it'll be that way forever Um, I actually don't see our future as something that is rather like minority report I see it as something that's much more Harry Potter what does that mean so an enchanted world um, an enchanted world where every object has its own bubble of enchantment mm-hmm. um, I described it the other night as imagine a like a bubble of empathy around everything yourself your glass of water your telephone um, whatever it is and that empathy is actually streams of information about that product about where it came from about like what's gone into the water about what the glass was made of Mm -hmm. um, creating an empathy bubble around it so you can understand it and it can understand you Um, and but and where I think we're going with this conversation around data is like where do do you want to let people tap in and where do you want to make sure that people can't tap in Um, And so I think it's a it's a balance between the object, um, knowing what we want to understand about them and then vice versa, yourself, Mm -hmm. knowing yourself in a better way with all of that information and then allowing people either to tap in or to tap out. So stepping away from wearable experiments for a minute, how does um, what has happened in sort of the luxury space that has that has created this idea that no luxury brands can't do wearables? I mean. Uh, well, I remember we were we were talking about this the other day, and you know even the Apple Watch. You look at the Apple Watch numbers; they're not as healthy as I'm sure Apple expected or as anybody expected. I mean, people when Apple Watch came out, I'm sure you remember everyone was like, "Well, this is it." I mean, this is it. They have the haptic touch. They have sort of all these other things. They're tapping into the sensation and feeling more than any other device had before it, and yet nothing happened. And I think after that, it sort of was like, "Well, if Apple couldn't do it." Why would, you know, how is Hermes going to do it? How is, uh, how are these luxury brands that did not start as tech first companies going to do it? I mean, where is that divide here? Like, why aren't tech and fashion not really getting, getting along? Uh, the ongoing question. Um, I actually believe they are one and the same. So since the beginning of time, we've been designing with technology, but that technology was something that was a little bit more manual. So let's say it's a zipper or a button or an RFID tag, which is in the back of every garment Mm -hmm. um, which most of the time they are tracking Mm -hmm. Uh, that in itself is a technology that we're not really registering as a wearable and so I actually think it's this terrible term wearable technology that's um, created that divide I don't believe that that's what I'm building by any means I believe I'm just building ready to wear um, with an opportunity to enchant it so then the opportunity itself then why 
why are big brands capable of enchanting their, I don't know, again, their purses or their bags or their shoes? Um, because a lot of it ends up being, well, why would, why would a consumer want this in the first place? I mean, for a long time, sure, we've been designing with technology, but we've also been completely and perfectly happy with having a handbag that is a handbag and it stores my, my stuff and I'm okay with it. I think um, some technology companies have forgotten about nostalgia mm -hmm. as like one of the key tools to design for. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I reference Harry Potter mm -hmm. because there is that element of nostalgia in so many of the enchanted products. Um, this year specifically, there are several luxury brands launching connected purses, um, connected trunks, connected everything. Um, and so I think what's been interesting for me is watching how holding even some of these brands hand over the last three years doesn't necessarily mean they were ready um, but they now know that we are in an opportunity where the consumer is and the consumer cares mm -hmm. um, and the consumer wants this beautiful bag and they want it to have nostalgia they want it to have luxury stamped on it but they know that it can do more than that what is um i love that idea of sort of like the brands tried to do it and then it was just like well hold on the consumer isn't ready i mean the internal challenges of these brands are fascinating too because these are these ginormous companies in a lot of cases um they've got a thousand things to deal with and then a lot of it comes back down to kpis i'm sure that's things that you're not worried about as much because you're able to design for the sake of design right Oh, everyone has to worry about KPIs. <laughs> I wish it wasn't the case. Um, I think it's a what the challenge has been is that they weren't prepared to have the same return on investment of a product that did have technology in it as they would on a product that didn't. So where there has been a gap is being like, oh, we've got to invest in this R&D. We've got to invest in this new type of technology. That's going to cost money. Mm -hmm. And then we want to sell it at this price. And uh, that's not going to make sure that we cover all of our costs. And so we need to sell it at a different price. Mm -hmm. and, and then you've actually got to think about um, software if you're going to update your hardware. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a whole new language for designers to think about. <laughs> Does, can designers be software engineers, really? Well, I, I mean, mean, I think they have to be. Right. Um, this is an interface that we're interacting with now and that's how we're consuming and that's how we're observing and um, not only do you have to be thinking about those in terms of social channels and communication that way but you also have to be thinking about it in terms of like upgrading i love the way the fashion industry constantly iterates mm -hmm. every three months yeah. um that recycle that refresh um software isn't quite up to doing that every three months yet they're trying mm -hmm. um but what i think they both need to learn from each other is like this is a constant revolving platform we're revolving around each other it's not a you versus me it's like we are now in this together um, we have to take the good from both industries and figure out where to be able to upgrade my software for my handbag yeah do you think that, so you, and you mentioned that you think that the consumer is kind of ready now 100 percent. i mean if, even if you think about how much you are consuming on snapchat Mm -hmm. versus what you were a year ago. I mean, I was early phase Snapchat and then I totally stopped using it and then I'm back into it. <laughs> and so what does that mean for like how I'm consuming anything? Um, and if Snapchat is connected to the way I make you feel and when I watch your Snapchat, you get a notification of sorts that is actual, actually personal, um, I think there's a real opportunity here to, to make the skin an, an actual interface. Do you think that there's, um, let's talk about data a little bit. Um, actually, let's talk about it quite a lot. Because I think one of the, what feels to me like the more promising and probably the more promising short-term use of a lot of these connected fashion or a lot of internet clothing things seems to be this like this ultimate use of data because you're able to track bags or you're able to understand, um, oh, I'm, this thing I'm buying, is it real? 
is it counterfeit? There's sort of like the one use case. Then there's things about where did this bag go? How did the consumer use it? What does that tell me as a designer about the product? Where where are we with that? Sort of what are some of the what are some of the use cases of that? And where are we to give me like a little bit of a reality check? So it's it's really interesting the data examples you just gave because that's so not what like first comes to mind for me. Okay. I, I instantly think of biometrics, okay. um, but I like I actually think it's a really good place to start because it's more relevant to actually the fashion industry and like the way they're thinking about inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some really sophisticated stuff out there, mm-hmm. uh, and they're doing a pretty good job on tracking where it goes and where it comes from and companies like Avery Dennison are so big mm-hmm. um, that it sort of blows your mind because a lot of people don't even know that that's like the biggest provider to the fashion industry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I think where there, there are gaps is uh, turning that data into something a little bit more meaningful for um, not just the company or the enterprise, but actually the consumer. Mm. Um, and I don't think anybody's doing that really Can you well unpack yet. that a little bit? So at the moment, uh, the data is like, f- is floating around for the actual company, for the brand, for uh, the enterprise, whoever it and is. Even, and even then, like, are they really using it? Because I mean, this has been a problem across industries. This isn't just a fashion problem that you have a lot of consumer data floating around and you don't really know what to do with it, right? You've got to design the system knowing what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that, I mean, I think everyone who's in my space will openly confess that they haven't necessarily done right the first time okay. or the second time. Well, tell me about the first time you did it. Was it was it was that something that you did, did not design for sort of in the first iterations of what you were working on? Well, I mean, our main focus hasn't been about biometrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not necessarily focused on high performance and for that particular reason, um, for the reason that I don't necessarily see the value for the consumer in the data, but I see the value in the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I think we've got a slight spin on. We're not doing p- predictable um, biometrics, but I am consulting to a um, predictive analytics company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're called SMG Technologies. Mm-hmm. And where I've seen them succeed and others fail is that they are taking this like huge spectrum of data. Mm-hmm. So everything from what your doctor says, what your trainer says, what your friend says, what your sleep quality is, what your mental quality is, what did you eat? Um, where are you physically? What's the weather? Like so much data about what's going on in that space um, to then be able to tell you, oh, you might get a stomach bug tomorrow because you ate the wrong thing. And quite literally, they have been able to do that. Um, And I think that's where it's really interesting and what the limitations are at the moment is people are taking data from one source Mm -hmm. and they're believing it. And they're like, oh, no, this is really valuable. Like, this is information about my steps. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas to really understand your experience, you've got to be getting that whole wide spectrum of information. But And then again, that's sort of, I think that sounds great in theory. Um, Sounds fantastic. I'd love to know if I'm going to get a stomach bug tomorrow. (laughs) Um, I hope I'm not. But... Then you, but you've still got these, like you've got these discrete products and these discrete pieces of businesses. You've got a ring that might give you entry into the Boston um, subway system, right? And then you've got the other ring that'll tell me just when you know my husband calls me. And then you've got the 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 bracelet that'll remind you to breathe. So you've got all these really disparate senses of wearables. And I do, I, I do want to talk about that bubble because I think what I think I don't know what happened and when it happened, but you probably do. When did this whole thing start? I mean, where did where did it start becoming that we need a wearable for every moment of our lives? 
because that that just it's, it feels untenable because then there's too many things you're putting on and eventually the shakedown happens and you're you're left with the one thing you actually want right yeah but but that's the realistic nature of fashion right i mean how many pairs of shoes do you have uh, and too many and like how many do you actually wear yeah, yeah like four yeah. um yeah. it's the same thing so it's the same way down effect for some reason in technology we think there's like it's apple versus google mm-hmm. and it's one one is gonna win and mm-hmm. but in fashion we don't think that way you can wear multiple different brands all at the same time depending on your mood sure. and so that's what i think wearable technology is picking that up from i mean and the that's reason it started popping up so vastly everywhere about every different area of your life is because it became cheaper it became cheaper and faster and smaller. And the more we was able to do that, the more we could fit it into interesting places of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more you add like a creative technologist to that area, an anthropologist to that area, um, the more you start thinking about different kinds of problems that you're t- trying to solve. So, so then let's let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, the, the sh- I love that idea of like fashion never was about one thing, but tech kind of always has been. It's been it's been a matter of choosing the product or the company that you're loyal. I mean, but loyalty was what drove these companies. I mean, I think a lot of times Apple's uh, Apple's a lot of Apple's success, not all of it, has been down to the fact that they've been devoted Apple loyalists. I mean, Samsung did an entire ad campaign about this idea that people who you know were following Apple were just, were just like these blind sheep and oh if you follow Samsung then you're not waiting in line for the thing that's not actually the next big thing um, but that's been the branding of tech I mean that that whole idea of standing in line waiting for stores outside Best Buy at 3 a.m. that brand loyalty how does that jive within the fashion the fashion ideal that you don't necessarily have to be loyal I think, I mean, I think there are brand loyalists in fashion as well, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of geography, is that the right word? Of real estate on the okay. body. That's a better word. Um, there's a lot of real estate on the body and traditionally with tech, it was just a screen um, and that was, our, that was how we interfaced with tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's pretty limited in terms of designing for all of your senses, mm-hmm. uh, like how you can choose one particular brand. Um, what's interesting about sight uh, is that we, we get used to a particular format. Mm-hmm. We know a particular style and we like to use that because we're used to it. And we don't like too much change because change is scary. But with fashion, it's the opposite. We love change. We love the new season. We get so excited for a new pair of shoes and a new off-the-shoulder top and whatever it is. And so it's a, um, I still believe there's an opportunity here for us not to be like the one ruler, the one ring to rule them all, um, basically. And for this to be like a very open, like, how do I feel today? I'm going to put that on. That's how I feel. Oh, that's very interesting. Tell me about um, all the wearables you own. Ooh, yes. So, in fact, last night I went to a launch of, um, it's called Zenta by Vinaya. Um, So I own several products from them. It's uh, a notification ring. Um, I obviously wear and use several of my products. Um, And then I am interested in the biometric stuff, and I adopted that stuff a while back and then stopped using it. To be honest, I don't have any activity trackers anymore. Um, I I don't I know my body well enough now, um, but I do use my yoga pants regularly. Okay, um, tell us about your yoga pants. Yeah, I will. Um, they're called Nadi X. Um, they're yoga pants that can help correct your form. So they use directional haptic feedback. Again, not just like buzz buzz in one part of the body, mm-hmm. um, but we move around your body so we understand. Okay, your hips aren't even. Um, and we want to help you correct your hips when you're in a particular pose. Sure. Um, so at the moment, what we're doing is you select inside the app what level you're at, you know, beginner. 
beginner, intermediate, advanced, mm-hmm. and then which poses you want help with. And we're only working on four poses at the moment. Okay. Um, so then you can say, I really know that I only want help with my warrior one. Okay. Um, and those pants will know and be able to help correct you. Who is the market for this? It's actually beginners, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, I know that when a yogi really knows themselves, they don't necessarily need that kind of instruction. Um, but it's newcomers to yoga and it's people who wear these pants all day. Um, and eventually want correction when they're sitting at their desk as much as they do when they're actually in their class. Would you, uh, what is, I mean, sort of your preferred way of sort of going to market with these things? I mean, do you go for the brands first? Do you go to the yoga studios? Um, do you prefer to go direct to consumer and sort of, you know, through buzz and word of mouth and all that, go for those beginners and hope that they just buy it on their own? I mean, what has worked? Because again, this is a new space, right? So I think that a lot of the old rules of brand building could kind of might not apply. And I think we would be silly to say if they did apply um, because they don't know the answer at this point. I think we have to ask the consumers, like, how would you want to interact with this? Would you buy this more if it was a bigger brand product or would you buy it more if it was associated with the studio or would you buy it more if it was direct from us? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's the current process we're in at the moment. How does um, how does sort of the design versus the the hardware software stuff work for you, um, and how does it work? I mean, for other places, I think the one thing you know that we've talked a lot about is the Internet of Clothing, wearables, connected fashion, all of that. The one thing that it has affected and will affect is how brands operate internally. Um, and we mentioned this briefly earlier when you said, well, designers need to think like engineers, but I think there's more to it than that. And there's serious investment in resources, serious things like that. I mean, how have, A, how have you done it? Um, What was sort of your thinking when you started thinking about this? And then how should bigger companies do it? I had a wonderful mentor suggest to me that I should go to bed with dead people. (laughs) As such a strange comment, but he meant like go. He did not mean literally. No, he did not. He meant. I wouldn't. I honestly, the funny thing is, I wouldn't have been surprised. No, he meant with books. He was like, honestly, take the books to bed, read, just spend when you're figuring out like am I going to be able to do this? Is any of this possible? And he's like, just go to bed, read what other people have done, find some information, read some more, and then eventually make a decision after a couple of months of like heavy reading. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my first advice to anyone who's interested in getting into the space. Um, but then secondarily, like surrounding yourself with people from other industries. So traditionally I was a fashion designer and then I somehow found myself surrounded by 3D printers. Um, and so Oh God, remember 3D printers? Yeah. What happened to those? I'm still, in, I'm fascinated by 3D printing still. But um, you know, but it's over, right? No, it's not over. The companies uh, had expectations of themselves that were unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And so the industry is never, that's not dying by any means. Uh, it's not going away. It's just those companies and their expectations on themselves have to have to change. I thought we were going to be at the point now by by this year where you know I needed like a part for my refrigerator and I just print it and I <laughs> put it in there and refrigerator will start working. But that's again. a materials problem, right? Mm-hmm. It's not actually the printer's problem. Like the printers, I mean, there's a little bit of back and forth between the two, but the the materials that just need to advance. And I mean, there's such an interesting conversation to have around materials in general. Um, some like fabulous things that are happening in graphene, some fabulous things that are happening in mushrooms, but none of them are actually ready to be a commercial product yet. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of like having the actual science catch up with the imagination. Okay, and not and not 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 the opposite. Precisely. So as I was saying though, early into that space, surrounding myself with thinkers like that allowed me to grab some of that imagination, grab some of that information, and then say, okay, this is an area I want some 
expertise in, um, why don't I like do a couple of lessons and 3D print a few things myself um, and then see where that's related to what I was doing at the time, which was education. Um, so having moved on from there, then I started actually spending time in San Francisco with a lot of software engineers um, and learning about what they were excited about and the different kind of educational platforms and drawing tools and why that was going to be part of the future of education. And then again, piecing that together back to hardware and the other things that were going on there and because I was naturally a fashion designer, you then start thinking, oh my God, this, these all kind of connect together. In fact, all four of these industries is now what I have to do in my daily basis. Do you think, um, okay, out of those four, who's, who's the hardest to reach, to get through to, or to break into? Oh, hardware's hard. Hardware's hard. <laughs> hardware's okay. really hard. What about the big sort of the on, the on the fashion side? Do you feel because a lot of people talk about the gatekeepers of fashion? I mean, there are so many gatekeepers. They're sort of the arbiters of good taste, and they're the people who tell you, you know, that those off the shoulder tops, you know, that they are in, <laughs> and it's okay to wear them again. Um, do you think that that those people, sort of this old guard of fashion, can come around and will come around to accepting sort of this entirely new way of thinking and wearing and touching? Um, or is that sort of the uphill battle there? No, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that they're, um, they're the ones saying like, no. Okay. Um, I think there is uh, an unfortunate way of like perceiving wearables as like just slap an LED on it, um, which like for some people has worked and good for them. No, seriously, there's a company that sells stuff just for Burning Man and they make hella, hella money <laughs> of just like things that light up. And why not? Like if it works for you, great. Um, that's not my kettle of fish. Um, and I wanted to design more for experience and for that softness, mm -hmm. that softness that is fashion. Um, and in fashion, you think about drape and you think about tone and texture and color and line and shape and proportion. And that's the stuff that excites you. Um, so it's a matter of actually having the rules of hardware bend a little towards what fashion can do and be and like, charm you with but and vice versa because there are rules in fashion that say well fashion is about drape and touch and feel and color and shape and not necessarily about wires and 100%. having having them anywhere near me I mean that's sort of been I think that's also been what I mean by the gatekeepers I think the pushback could come from there right that's interesting like from like a safety perspective the mobile phone that you're carrying around has like 35 times more emissions than anything that else you might put sure. on your body yeah um so i think it's just a matter of education um having said that like i've i've done a fair bit of presenting to some of these gatekeepers and, and i know they're excited it's just a matter of getting everything for sale okay yeah what about uh what about money how does um can these things, you know, again, reach the scale necessary for us to actually say, okay, these are viable businesses and they can work again inside. Also, even if a big Louis Vuitton does them or whoever does them, um, can they get that level of scale? I mean, because fashion, the thing about shoes, you know, they hit, they have scale because mm -hmm. everyone has feet. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I believe every three months this is getting cheaper and smaller and faster. Um, and that's been a constant over the last few years. Um, so I, I genuinely believe that the price points are constantly dropping um, and that it's just a matter of time. It's it's going to be, you know, a year or two of uh, having these things cost a little bit more than you're traditionally prepared to pay. But if you care about empowering yourself with some of this information, you'll want to buy it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that wearables have this, you know, so-called woman problem that women don't want to don't want to wear it or buy it or 
have it. I think you're call- you're talking about wristables, um, which uh, is more about the like the arm party of all the things just, that belong put, on your just, wrist. Just turn it into a bracelet, and it'll be great. Yeah, um, there, there's a there's a whole um, there's one that you know triggers a fake call to your cell phone to get you out of a date and all of those. There's I love that. <laughs> can can be helpful. Uh, I always thought it was a really interesting idea to um, to read someone's capillaries in their face. It was like to have earrings that have a camera in it and could read whether they liked you or not, but you don't get the information until after the date's over. Okay. And then that you would could, help. Yeah. I always thought it was a fabulous idea. I've never built it. So there's no women problem uh, that you can see? Well, or is there one and are we just looking at the wrong thing? Uh, I think it's an ongoing um, – there's – there's a softness problem, uh, and that's not a woman or a man problem. I think that's a like just a thinking about computation as soft computation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to unpack that a lot more. Computation, the way I was saying, talking about like thinking like an engineer. Um, so thinking about what computation does and why it does it and what it could add. Mm-hmm. And then having that in the back of your head, constantly ticking while you're designing for softness. Okay. Um, before I let you go, sort of what's next? When what, what do we see come out of wearable experiments next? Well, we have a big launch next month in Cannes, um, which we're really excited about. Um, a new version of our fan jersey product um, for a very exciting sport that I think is very relevant to, to everyone. Um, and then... Over the next year, we really plan to get ready for pre-sales for our yoga pants and um, and have that ready to launch. I don't want to say a date because I'm fingers crossing <laughs> at the moment and toes. Um, but soon, I think that's that's where we're headed. And then then realizing and empowering people that this this is a product that can have that nostalgia, can last the test of time, but also has the ability to upgrade via software. Um, and to me, that brings the enchantment. Great. Well, Billy, thank you so much for being on the show. And thanks to you for listening. Um, Subscribe to us. We're on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. And we'll be back next week with another guest on the Glossy Podcast.